You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. So, I, I listen to lectures a lot. Like, this is my, this is my thing. I'm, I'm trying to go to seminary on the cheap. That's kind of the idea. So rather than signing up and paying tens of thousands of dollars to go to seminary someplace, which I would do if I could, uh, if the Lord allowed, I'm doing it on my own in the sense of tons of podcasts and YouTube videos and books. And I just, that's, you know, people talk about having hobbies and those kinds of things. Like, no, I don't have any of those. I study as much as I can. And that's not a brag at all. It's just where the Lord has drawn my heart. And so uh, I spend a lot of time studying And there's something I've learned while doing this, and I think I've always known this, but I think there are certain times where you start to experience the truth of something, and this last couple weeks not being together um, as we continue dealing with sort of the COVID thing and how everybody's relating to that, um, I learned something about the difference between preaching and teaching. And um, preaching is not simply talking for the sake of information, okay? Preaching. Preaching is not simply talking for the sake of information. Lecturing, teaching, is for the sake of information. Now, biblically, scripturally, like what we would do on a Wednesday night where we go verse by verse through the scripture and sort of understand history and context and the theology of things, that's important. That's really, really good. And if we miss that part of our faith, we miss this connection of trying to comprehend God. Yes, he's far above us. We're never going to totally get him. But the more we know about him, the more we love him, right? So studying in that way is incredibly important. And I found that in myself as I study deeper and deeper, study the history of the church, read the early church fathers, try and understand how it was that they did what we're doing. It just increases my awe and my love for God. And that's a good thing. But that's very different than preaching. When we come together as the body of Christ in this setting to come and worship together, The proclamation of God's word, preaching God's word for whatever purpose we're doing, there's something different about it. The book of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? And it says it has the ability to divide between our soul and our spirit, like between bone and marrow. Like the word of God has this surgical precision. That's why oftentimes... When you come to church and somebody's preaching, regardless if they're a good preacher or not in terms of performance, when the word of God gets spoken, how many times have we felt or we've heard someone else go, that was for me. Like that's like, feel like God was like, you know, speaking directly to me or pastor, why were you following me around all week to know what I'm going through? Like, how is it that you knew to talk about this thing? The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So there's something about preaching God's word in this setting. And I say that specifically because here's the deal. Over the last couple of weeks, I, I just wrestled. I was praying through and wrestling, really wrestling with the Holy Spirit on um, how, when we're not together in this setting. How do I do that? Do I just go back to sitting in front of a camera in my bedroom and recording a quote-unquote service and singing some songs and teaching? Do I do that? I got a lot of friends who do, where the church organization gets together and in an office or whatever, they produce a service, and man, God bless them. There's people who have that that as a resource and a gift, and it is a blessing. I'm, I'm not condemning that. But for me, because of the nature of this definition of preaching, being with God's people, I just was like, I just can't do it. 
I just cannot sit in front of my phone again and produce a service for everybody. And so in the schedule of things, I had said, hey, we're going to finish up with our study of Jesus and, and some specific things about seeing him clearly. And then we get into the Advent season and spend time in preparation for Christmas and the birth of Jesus. But I didn't. This sermon that I have that, I, that, I, that I'm going to preach today, I've had for about four weeks, three weeks, and it's been ready to go. And I could have sat in front of the camera and recorded it and said, hey, guys, it's there on YouTube and you can watch it. And I just went, I can't do it. I just cannot bring myself to do it. It would have felt like a performance of some kind. And I don't want to do that. And so I've waited until today to talk about this subject. And I'm excited about what this means for us as we continue to um, understand who Jesus is. And it's so apropos, it's so perfect that we're coming into the season of celebrating Christ's birth that hopefully what we've studied here over the last several weeks, we've talked about um, Jesus's history, where he came from, who he is. We've talked about Jesus's purpose, why he came. We've talked about Jesus's perfection, the fact that he's perfect for us in two senses. He's perfect for us, but he's also perfect for us. And it's all a matter of inflection. But also his promise what the promise of Jesus is. And all those things, you can go back and listen to those from other services that we've had. But today we get to discuss this final thought or idea about Jesus. We've been asking the question, do we see Jesus clearly? Do we really know him for who he is? And does our knowledge of Jesus cause us to love him more? That should be our goal. And so today, the final step of understanding Jesus for who he is, is understanding Jesus's revelation. Now, understanding Jesus's revelation. Yes, the last book of the Bible is the revelation of Jesus, and it's the vision that God gave to John the Apostle to understand what was going to be afflicting the church in times of persecution, both presently at that time and in the future. And the theme of revelation, the revealing of Jesus, is quite simply the victory of Jesus over sin and death and the consummation of God's kingdom eternally. That's the revelation of Jesus. Yes, it's spoken about in weird pictures with dragons and women with stars on their head, and there's all kinds of crazy discussion you know, of, of symbology and uh, apocalyptic literature and all those kinds of things. And so sometimes Revelation gets a bad rap. It's kind of hard to understand. Um, I, I was stud in speaking of studying, it's a funny thing how God's word has endured throughout the ages. How God's word, even it as it was collected in those first several centuries of the church, and how those ecumenical councils gathered together to determine what was inspired and should be in the Bible, uh, canonized, versus not, it's funny that God's word has endured through so many different trials, even people, no less than Martin Luther, the reformer from the 1500s, who protested against the abuses of the Catholic Church and, and changed the course of religious history for us in particular as Protestants, evangelicals, Martin Luther wanted to get rid of several books from the Bible. Martin Luther, in his German translation of the Bible, wanted to get rid of the book of James because it talked about doing good works. And Martin Luther wanted to pound home the idea from Galatians that we are justified by faith alone. He didn't want there to be any allusion to the fact that we as Christians 
are, suppo- are supposed to actually look like Jesus and do good works. He didn't want that. He, got, he wanted to get rid of 3 John. Did not, didn't think that that was an inspired book. He also wanted to get rid of the book of Revelation because of all the symbology and all of these pictures that were so hard to understand. And yet that is how Jesus reveals himself to us. Sometimes it's really confusing because Jesus is utterly different than us. He's God. And yet Jesus is utterly accessible to us because he's also man. And so Jesus reveals himself. And today, how I want to frame that is in three ways. Okay? We're going to see Jesus revealing himself to us in three distinct ways. And as if, even by definition, if Jesus is revealing himself to us, that should help us see him clearly for who he is. And if we see him clearly for who he is, we should love him more when we walk out the doors today. So the first way that Jesus reveals himself to us is in our past. Take note of that. Jesus reveals himself to us in our past. And what I mean by in our past is that Jesus reveals himself in our creation. The fact that he created us. Take note of Hebrews chapter 1. It says that God spoke things into existence through Jesus. Jesus was there. He was present. Jesus didn't become Jesus when he was born to the Virgin Mary. Jesus has always been. He's eternal. And so Jesus was there at creation. So Mark Hebrews chapter 1, but like I told you, I want you to look at at Revelation chapter 4. Look there with me. And here we see in Revelation chapter 4, the heavenly scene as John the Apostle was, was taken up in the Spirit and was shown things that were, that are, and that will be. That's the the outline of the book of Revelation. John sees this heavenly scene. Take a look at Revelation chapter 4 at the second half of uh, verse 6. Revelation 4, 6. John says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Just take note of this for a moment. This is the activity of heaven. Take a look at how John describes this. He says, uh, and the four living creatures, all of them, day and night, it says, they never cease to proclaim God's holiness. This is the occupation of the residents of heaven, whether they be man or beast. The occupation of the heavenly realm is to declare God's holiness. And whenever God's holiness is declared, everyone else falls flat and worships the Lord and gives honor to the Lord who lives forever and ever. And look at what they say as they're honoring the Lord in Revelation 
chapter 10, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, going into verse 11. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Now look at this phrase. And by your will, they existed and were created. I like the King James translation on this one. For your good pleasure, they existed and were created. Jesus reveals himself to us in our past by way of our creation. Here's what that means. Jesus created you because it brought him pleasure. Jesus wants you. He created you. That's the thing that should cause us to look at Jesus and go, you created me. It was by your will. It was because it pleased you to create me, even in the state that I'm in this morning. It pleases you, Lord, that I'm here. This is the foundation for the deep love relationship that we should have with Jesus. It's what we were created for. He created us to be with him. That's what he desires is for us, his people, his children, his friends, to be with him. Isn't that what we want? Like in any relationship, we just want someone to want us. And in the face of any kind of rejection that we've ever had in our life, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you were picked last for, for the team. It doesn't matter if the relationship broke off. It doesn't matter if the job went away. None of those things. We find peace and we find our fulfillment in the fact that Jesus wants us. It's what he created us for. That's how he reveals himself to us in our past, by creating us. The second way that Jesus reveals himself, as we're going to take a look this morning, the second way is that Jesus reveals himself to us in our present. He reveals himself in our past through, through creation. He wants us. But he also reveals himself to us in our present through salvation. Jesus reveals himself in the present through salvation. Jesus saves us. And salvation takes place in a moment in two ways. I want you to track with me on this one. Salvation occurs in a moment in two different ways. There, of course, is the moment of salvation like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, where if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him up from the dead, then you will be saved. Your salvation occurs at the moment that you place your faith upon Jesus. That's the moment of salvation. But I want you to take a look at Philippians chapter 2. I said we're going to bounce around a little bit. We will. But I want you to take a look at Philippians chapter 2. And something that Paul says there that should help us to understand that salvation is not, check me on this one, salvation is not a one and done deal. Yes, we are saved the moment we place our salvation upon Jesus Christ. But look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, mark this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, 
I thought salvation already happened. I thought the moment that I believed upon Jesus, I was saved. You were. Absolutely you were. Jesus' righteousness is now your righteousness. At the moment you place your faith upon Jesus, your salvation is secured eternally. God sees you as he sees his son, not with the stain of sin upon you, but washed by his blood, cleansed through baptism. Like you are now in the place of Jesus in God's sight. But here's what Paul says. And this is, the, this is the struggle and the tension that we should feel as Christians. I know I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. But Paul says that I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. What the heck does that mean? That really does make me fear and tremble if I'm somehow responsible for working out my salvation. Well, that's why I say that salvation happens in a moment in two ways. Your eternal salvation is secured. When you believe upon Jesus, you are saved. That's eternity promised to you. But check this out. Every single moment that you and I resist the temptation to sin, every single moment that we have sinned, but we repent of that sin and we confess that sin, every moment that we do like the scripture says, like Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, meaning be willing to sacrifice your life for the sake of Christ. Every single moment that we do that, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Think of it in the sense of it's real for us. We're saved. We have possession of our salvation. But now we're expressing it. We're working it out from us to the world, for the world to see. And the truth is, is that Jesus makes frequent reference to this idea that the one who endures to the end will be saved. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial as a follower of Jesus, the one who endures to the end will be saved. thought I was saved when I prayed the prayer of faith. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. But, but, you're going to be confronted with so many things in life that are going to try and draw you away from Jesus. Take your mind and your heart and your focus off of serving him. In the moment that you make the decision and you choose to take up your cross and follow Jesus, that's the moment Jesus saves you again. And the moment you repent of your sin, you confess it to the Lord and you repent and say, Lord, I don't want to sin that way anymore. Jesus just saved you again. And so in a very real way, Jesus has saved us, yes, in a past tense, but he also saves us in the present, right now as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Which is why we devote ourselves, we were just talking about this, why we devote ourselves to disciplines in the faith. Why I make time every day to get in the word and allow, allow God's word to speak to me. Why I need to make time every day and dedicate more and more time to just sitting with the Lord, being in prayer, quietly listening to him, turning off all the distractions and, and disciplining myself to say, no, I, Lord, I just need to hear from you. Yeah, but there's the show I wanna finish and there's the project that needs to get done and there's the shopping and then there's the laundry and there's the kids, all those things. Yeah, but listen, all of those things are gonna mean nothing unless Jesus, you and I, are in this relationship together. And so it's why we study the word. It's why we come and pray and take, have fellowship and take communion together. I've heard it said this way. Christianity is not about you getting into church. Christianity is about getting the church into you. If Jesus is the head of the church and we're his body, 
We need his thoughts. We need his direction. We need his leading in our life. We need to get the church in to us more and more. The third way that Jesus reveals himself, as you can already tell, as he has revealed himself to us in our past through creation, in the present through salvation, Jesus also reveals himself to us in the future. Jesus reveals himself to us in a future sense through sanctification. Sanctification. Now, some would listen to my explanation of salvation in the moment, saying Jesus saves us when we resist temptation and when we confess sin and we take up our cross and follow him. Some would say, well, Lucian, that's not salvation necessarily. That's actually sanctification. That's becoming more and more like Jesus. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I think sanctification has a little bit different purpose for us. And it's this. Jesus reveals himself to us in a future sense through sanctification from the perspective of saying that we will act like Jesus. Once we're saved and we're working through our salvation, our sanctification is that we will begin to act more like Jesus. Take note of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Here's what Peter says about this idea of sanctification and how Jesus reveals himself to us. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What are the passions of our former ignorance? Before we knew the Lord, before we knew what was holy and right and good, the things that we would commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to and just go after in the flesh, pleasing ourselves, those are the passions of our former ignorance. Before we knew that just simply serving our flesh is not what God intends for us. That's the passions of our former ignorance. And Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is what we're told by the Apostle Peter about sanctification, that as Jesus has shown us his example of holiness and perfection, that's what we're to strive for. Now, this has been used, this has been taken improperly throughout the history of the church, this concept of to become a Christian means you have to act a certain way and behave a certain way has been abused to say, if you don't all look the same and act the same based on the judgment of an institution, then you're not holy. No, the, the concept here is that we're looking to Jesus, not an institution to define what holiness is for us. We choose to worship in this way. This is what God has uh, led us to and trained me in and to say, we're going to open the Bible this way. We're going to take communion this way. This is how we're going to worship in, in song is by an acoustic guitar and, and these kinds of things. And another group of people, some other place, is going to worship differently. It's going to look different. 
But the purpose should be the same, to pursue holiness, to look like Jesus. And this idea can possibly scare people who are coming into the faith to go, I'm supposed to be holy? I'm, I'm, I'm not holy. So how could God want me if I'm not? Remember, the idea is, is that our obedience to follow the things that Jesus has taught us. As obedient children, Peter says, you be holy like Jesus is holy. Pursue that type of holiness. That's what sanctification is. And here's the thing. This is why I think about sanctification not just as a present reality. I like to think about that process of resisting temptation as our salvation being worked out. I like to think of sanctification as a future place that will arrive because there's always something more that I can do in my life to look more like Jesus. I never arrive when I'm in this state. There's no one who can say, I'm holy. I got it done. I, I've checked it off the list. I, I got it. Looking at me, you're pretty much looking at Jesus. Like, step away. Lightning's coming at that point. You're going to get struck from heaven. I mean, that's just going to happen, right? Either that or you're going to get eaten by worms or something, right? Like, biblical examples of those things. There's always something more that I can do in my life to look more like Jesus. That's why sanctification is a future thing. It's, it's, there's always something more to do. But Jesus reveals himself uh, in the future, not just in sanctification, but also in glorification. So in sanctification, we're going to act like Jesus, but through the future sense of glorification, we are going to know and understand things like Jesus. Mark down 1 John. 1 John. Chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, as even he is pure. This is what John says, is that Jesus is going to continue revealing himself to us in a future tense through our sanctification, where we're going to act more like Jesus, but also through our glorification, where we're going to know things like Jesus knows. When we get him into us, when he's present with us, like the Bible says, when we have the mind of Christ, we're going to start knowing like Jesus knows. He's going to reveal things to us, and we're going to start saying, oh, I see that from Jesus's perspective, not from an earthly perspective. And then finally, Jesus reveals himself to us in our future through eternity. Jesus reveals himself in our future through eternity. Sanctification, glorification, and eternity. Mark down Revelation chapter 21. The end of the story, if you will. It's good to know the end of the story. When I was a kid and would read books, I had no qualms about turning to the last page and understanding what the resolution of the issue was. No problem whatsoever. That I didn't have to worry about it. I just got to enjoy the details as we went along. But knowing the end of the story is good, and this is what happens at the end of the story. Revelation chapter 21. Take a look at verse 5. 
Oftentimes, this is a scripture that's used as a, as a point of comfort for those who have been sick or are experiencing death, whether it's their own imminent death or the death of a loved one and a family member. But I believe this is a promise for us all to meditate on and to hold fast to, because in our darkest moments, this is an example for us to look into the future and hold on to the hope of eternity that's been given to us in our faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation 21 verse 5 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will, be, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We'll just stop there. This is the promise of eternity, that God is going to reside with his people eternally. We're, we're in a place right now where, where God is present with us through his spirit. Jesus is present with us through the, the, the elements of communion. Uh, like Jesus is here, the Holy Spirit's here, but eternally we're going to be with Jesus, face to face, the veil of mortality removed. We'll see as he sees, we'll know as he knows, and we will be like Jesus. As we consider what we've learned about Jesus, I think it's one of those things where, where again, part of the purpose of, of teaching this little series and going through this is to go, okay, a lot of us have been in church for most of our lives or for a large part of our lives, but I think there are moments in time where we have to sort of shake ourselves from the stupor of, I know what Christianity is about, I get it, and be reminded of what is the central point and the central purpose of our faith, and that is to love the Lord. There's two commandments that Jesus affirmed as being the most important commandments. It's to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's to love our neighbor as ourself. Those are the two that we have to be reminded of in a very real sense that before anything else, I have to love the Lord with everything that I am. My Lord is Jesus who died on the cross for me. And so my hope is, is that as we discover <coughs> seeing Jesus in all these different ways, knowing where he came from, what his purpose was, what his promise is, all those things, how perfect he is. And even as we see Jesus revealed to us in a very personal sense through our past, through the present, and through the future, my hope is that we find ways to love Jesus, to really pursue knowing him and loving him. One of the ways that, that, that is explained to us in scripture, as we saw in 1 Peter, is obedience, it's to obey Jesus. It's to hear his word and to obey the things that he has told us. It takes discipline to follow Jesus. And yet when we do, when we follow Jesus and are obedient to him, man, we see the rewards of those things. We see the blessings of those things. We see the peace that comes from being in God's will. 